there are two kind of fundamental types of companies, right? And types of leadership. One is fear-based leadership and, and one is love-based leadership. And the idea of you know servant leadership, it really starts there. Every decision that you make and how it flows down through a company is a product of how you approach your, what, what is your leadership style and how you approach your teams. Welcome to another edition of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports, media, disruption, NIL, licensing, chief growth, whatever we want to talk about. I'm Joe Favorito, along with my co-host, Tom Richardson. Tom, welcome back at the mid to the end of August. Yeah, Joe, it's good to be back, and I'm sorry I missed uh, the last show. Um, so you, you just mentioned the word disruption, which comes up quite a bit in these podcasts, but there was one major disruptive story this week that I just want to spend a minute on, if you don't mind, because for for fans of uh, for sports fans of a certain age, the company Tops is an iconic company in the business, and the the bombshell dropped this week that Major League Baseball was dropping the Tops um, the seventy year relationship. It goes back to 1951, which is kind of stunning to think about, and instead we'll be doing an exclusive trading card deal. I think it's exclusive with the, the now $18 billion juggernaut in sports commerce, Fanatics, which seems to be the new, the Amazon of the sports business. They wanna get into everything. They recently announced for NFTs and stuff like that. So what do you think, Joe? I know, you're, I know you were a, well, a sports card guy for a while when you were young. Yeah, I, um, and also not to be overlooked is the other company out there in the space, which is Panini. Mm-hmm. And all the rumblings that <laughs> that Fanatics is also doing deals with the NFLPA, the NBA PA, and every other PA that they could find to make sure that uh, you know they box everybody else out of the market. But you know, it's four years from now, right now, when the deal starts. Um, it's not clear, and one of the things that Tops has in its pocket is all the assets for seventy years that they can not have to give up. They own those licenses, mm-hmm. and Frankly, Tops has been in a lot of other areas in the, in the you know, the, they've started the NFT business. They've done deals with other athletes and other sports. They, they did a great deal with Trevor Lawrence. So the licensee business is important. And, the, you know, I think it hurts to see something like that so traditional potentially go away. But um, as one of our colleagues, Chris Lincheski, said to me this morning, Michael Eisner is not a person you want to screw with. So... We're going to see what happens. It was an interesting deal. Um, uh, credit to Fanatics and, you know, see where it goes. Yeah. I mean, one thought I had uh, when you think about this, this announcement and many of the other announcements we've heard in recent months is that we're getting increasingly to a point where very few things in the, quote, old sports business are sacred because of yeah. all the disruption in, in the business right now. So uh, anyway, I'm going to follow this one closely, as you will, and we'll, we'll yep. see what... what uh, what ensues, because I, I agree, this uh, Tops had big plans, as many people know, uh, and those are now severely disrupted because of this uh, news, so we'll see what happens. Anyway, Joe, why don't you introduce our guest, because we've got an amazing person yeah. with an amazing resume, and I can't wait for this chat. So, Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't one of your favorite books, Growth Hacker Marketing? That's one of the required readings of my class, Growth Hacker we Marketing. As so why don't, we, why don't we see if we can find somewhere out there in the digital space a chief growth officer. You think we could okay. find one of those? Yeah. And by the oh, way, I, I would, did. look at that. So. <laughs> and I'd love to know, by the way, quickly, when was the first time someone got the title chief growth officer? Maybe, maybe our guest will know. So, mm. 
Good question. So it's, a, it's kind our, of a new hot title in the business. Our guest today uh, and at her latest stop as Chief Growth Officer for Athletes First Partners, part of Athletes First, uh, one of the largest athlete representation companies in the world, um, is Janae Elzey. Janae, welcome to the Cusp Show. Thank you. It's really fantastic to be here. So before we get to, and, and we'll have Janae run through her background, one of the things, I don't know if we've had any gymnasts on, Tom, so far. I don't think we have, but we That's have now. That's a good question, yeah, so, and good, and good so, timing since many of us spent uh, an unusually large number of hours watching gymnastics a couple of weeks ago, which we're not usually doing, most of us. So, yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, Joe, when I read Janae's background, about her background, I was like, oh, my God, this is one of the most uh, interesting and impressive sports uh, management business backgrounds that, I, that I've come across um, but the, one of the things that intrigued me, maybe we can start with this, Janae, as we, as we mm -hmm. uh, hear from you about how your, your journey to Athletes uh, First Partners, is that um, after going to Stanford and getting your economics degree, you got a master's in organizational, um, what's it? Organizational behavior. behavior yes. Which, which is, a, to me, quite fascinating, especially when we think about what that might mean. Maybe you didn't know it then, what that might mean for people's business careers, because if there's ever been a time to understand organizational behavior, it's right now in, in, our, in our world. So anyway, maybe you can touch on that as you, as you tell everybody about how this all began. Sure, absolutely. I mean, I, I always say now, I, I feel like I spend most of my career studying organizational misbehavior. <laughs> that is really, you know, when I came out of when I came out of undergrad, I had studied economics, and I've always been fascinated by how um, how economy really works in our world. But even more than that, and this has very much been a part of my career, I'm just fascinated with cultures. I'm fascinated with how people communicate, how miscommunications can create entire cultures, um, business cultures especially. So when I actually came out of undergrad, I had the opportunity to stay at Stanford for another year and coach the gymnastics team and also um, pursue my master's degree. And so organization behavior was the absolute best. That, that year um, in studying uh, cultures was what really set me up for everything else I did. So when I came out, I actually came out of school. I, the only thing I knew was that I was fascinated by culture. I was, I loved sports. I actually didn't even realize you could work in sports until I took a, uh, summer and uh, trained and also uh, did an internship at the U.S. Olympic Committee in my junior year of college. So I felt like that gave me some direction to say, oh, you can actually you mean you can actually make um, a career, you can do business in this thing called sport. So when I came out of school, I didn't really, there were a whole lot of options out there, but most of them were very specific. So I could have gone to the East Coast, you know, ESPN was, was big at the time. Um, the, the colleges, the collegiate um, area was really interesting to me. And then there was this thing called Fox Sportsnet, which were the regional networks, which had just launched a couple years prior. And so that was an opportunity to get in on something at the ground level. I was really fascinated about that, you know, having grown up in the Bay Area, being in the middle of sort of the dot-com boom, just the idea of getting in on the ground was, was exciting. So that's really kind of what, what launched my path or at least started my path. Yeah. So, so when you 
Did, did you know enough about what was going on in the sports business to know what functional area you were interested in? Not a clue. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, that's an honest answer. <laughs> that, and, and you know what? One of the best things that ever happened to me when I started my first internship, as I said, was at the USOC. And there was a gentleman, uh, Charles Davis, who is now, uh, sure. he kind of made his way through golf and is now um, very involved in, in football again. He was my first boss. And the first thing that he did when I started, when I walked onto that campus, was uh, make me sit down with every business unit lead there and just talk to them, have lunch with them, have a coffee with them, just understood, understand what people did. I had no idea what sales was, what marketing was, specifically what they did, operations, production. So when I, I that was my mindset, even coming out of, uh, of, of those um, internships. And so when I started at Fox Sports, I actually started out in scheduling, which, was for me it was not you know it wasn't something that I was wild and crazy about sitting and looking at excel spreadsheets all day long but I learned a lot about programming and I learned a lot about how you you know how you effectively communicate with an audience through through programs and through scheduling so I did that for about a year and it was for me it was incredibly uh, boring because I was just literally just sitting there doing computer uh, work and I was very fortunate. My boss at the time said to me, you know, I think that you're better suited to a, a career where you're working with people. I loved, you know, I'm a people person. I love talking to people. So that actually, uh, I pivoted into a career or that track was acquisitions. So I started doing deals. My first deal, very first deal was a boxing deal, which I had no idea what I was doing at the time, but I was told to go out and, and make a deal for uh, boxing rights for Fox Sports West, I think it was at the time. And then from there, I just started doing all kinds of deals, all kinds of sports. I think I've worked in every sport. Uh, imaginable. And that kind of led me into a lot of different areas, but I had no idea at the beginning what any of it was about. That's great. And then it led to um, a job at the Tennis Channel. You were an early employee there, I know. Um, yes. What, what was the incentive to move? Did you, did you have some entrepreneurial um, instincts or, or urges there that you wanted to pursue? So what happened to me there, and again, I, I think about different points along the way of my journey and what, where the inflection points were. So at this point, I was at Fox Sports, and I was not really, I, I was very happy there. I was doing acquisitions, which I really enjoyed. And my boss at the time, uh, his name was Mark Fine. He still is, you know, incredible mentor. I mean, yeah, great, great, great guy. And I, I, I give him a lot of credit for doing what he did at the time, which was the Tennis Channel was just launching and they were looking for a head of programming and acquisitions. And at the time I was, uh, I was a manager of acquisitions and they had actually approached Mark uh, about the job. And because he was under contract, he couldn't, he, he couldn't leave, uh, leave Fox. And so he said, hey, I, I know you're looking, so I have someone that I think that you should talk to. And this was, I was two levels below what they were actually looking for. And so I did, I talked to them, they offered me the job and, and, and that's how it happened. And so what I, I learned a lot of things from Mark, but more than anything, I learned about the kind of boss I wanted to be because anyone that can do that 
and, and really put themselves aside and, and help someone that they saw talent in. Um, I, I was just so impressed and, and to this day, I really do give them a lot of credit. So, so um, along the path, you continue along the path. And again, big name, the NBA, in an unusual place, doing something unusual in a growth area for the NBA. So why don't you tell us about kind of that step and where that- but Wait, Joe, you missed one key place, another, another monolithic media company, uh, <laughs> which would be NBC Universal and Comcast, right? Yep. Yeah. 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 I get my, if I've got my order correct. Yes. That, is, yep. that is correct. Okay. So with, when I was at the Tennis Channel, what actually happened to me, I started uh, negotiating deals. I was head of acquisitions at that time. So I was traveling all over the world negotiating for tennis deals. And I was in Europe and I had met who, the person who became my boss at Comcast. And what I, the one, one of the things that the Tennis Channel really gave me was this sense of there being business opportunities outside of the U.S. So it was very, I always loved culture and I knew that I, I always sensed that I would end up somehow overseas doing something, but I had no idea how that was going to happen. And so I got the opportunity to join the international sales team and manage the international sales team for, at the time it was e-entertainment. So I was, you know, kind of pivoting from sports, very quickly got in, back into it because one of the other uh, channels under E and Comcast at the time was Golf Channel. And they were looking for someone. I was the only person in that department that had any background in sports. So they said, hey, why don't you focus on Golf Channel development as well? So I started, uh, I moved to London. It was supposed to be an 18 month assignment. I ended up in London for eight years. And so during that time, I was uh, doing business development for the Golf Channel, as well as selling uh, reality programming around the world. Wow. So that's, that's really what, what brought me to London. And, and then, then, and then came going, the NBA. <laughs> so, and then uh, this was about four years into, into it in London. And I, I just really had a passion to get back fully into sports. I really enjoyed my time in entertainment, but I just kept being, I kept feeling a pull uh, going back to the NBA. So I actually didn't even know that the NBA had an office in London. I had a couple of friends that worked at the NBA and put me in touch with the managing director there. And I had been in sales at that time. So I was purely on the commercial side of the business. And when I came in to meet with them, they said, hey, we have this role that's opening up. It's for a marketing lead. Um, we don't know what that necessarily looks like. We don't know what it means for uh, the Europe, Middle East and Africa region, but we just want someone to come in with a blank slate and just figure it all out. And so that was 2013. And that's really, and I, I jumped at the chance because A, it was a, it was a, real, it was a big brand, obviously with the NBA. But more than that, it was also kind of that startup mentality, which I find is now the connective thread through my entire career has been, whether it's been at large companies or whether it's been at places like the Tennis Channel is starting up these sort of new ventures. So I came in, it was just me, um, and hired a team originally for, to focus on Europe, Middle East, and Africa. I did that for about a year and a half. 
And then I got asked to build out the international team. So we had, I had teams in nine offices around the world. So I spent an inordinate amount of time on planes and in a lot of different cities, but it was, it was just such a, um, uh, an amazing experience and getting to see what the brand and what the sport of NBA really means to people around the world. I, ab I absolutely loved it. And, and again, I give it a lot of credit for kind of where I am now, um, just having that experience being on the ground for so long. One aspect, One aspect of, of, of the journey that is particularly interesting to me is that you, you have experience on both the significant experience on both the buy side and the sell side, as they say, of the business, which is unusual. A lot of people stay on one side or the other for in their careers. Um, and so the fact that you then went to an agency, a sports marketing agency, Athletes First, is really interesting because you did not work in service businesses per se. So talk about that. Like, what was your mindset uh, when you evaluated that opportunity? Yeah, you know, I had never thought, I, if you had asked me to make a list of the things that I would do in my life, uh, in my career, agency would not have been one of them. <laughs> I just, I, it just never occurred to me um, that that was, I worked with a lot of agencies and I knew how tough it, I, I know how tough the agency uh, life can be. And so even when I was thinking about what my next career step was going to be, it didn't really, um, it wasn't immediate to me. But sort of like everything else in my career, when an opportunity comes up, I just look at the opportunity. I had never intended to go into sales. I had never intended to go into marketing. I had never, I wasn't purposeful about, oh, I want to work at the NBA. I want to work at Fox. What I look for is the experience and the opportunity and kind of the feeling of what I want to do next. And so when this opportunity came up with Athletes First Partners, one, it was a new business that was launching and I knew I, I loved that. Uh, two, the role that I was looking at was, was the opportunity to marry three things that I had done, content, uh, sales and marketing, and to kind of bring that all together. And then the international side of the business as well. So it just, the opportunity came up and I didn't really think about the label so much. That's great. Um, touch on a little bit uh, before we kind of get into some of the philosophical things and some of the things that you've gone through and experienced. Uh, the primer for Athletes First Partners, some of the companies you uh, and the, the organizations that you're working with now, uh, and what do they do? And how does that fit into an organization like Athletes First? Yeah, sure. So just kind of at uh, base level, Athletes First Partners, we're a uh, sports marketing agency. We're based in New York City. We are part of the Athletes First family. If you're familiar with Athletes First, the largest, right now, the largest uh, NFL talent representation agency. Uh, we actually were born in uh, March of 2018, and we focus on three lines of business, sports sponsorship, uh, group marketing and property representation. And so our business really started off of the back of a partnership with the NBPA. So back when the last CBA uh, was negotiated 
and the NBPA took in-house their name, essentially their NIL rights, their name, image, and likeness rights for their players. This was back in 2017. No one knew that this was going to, you know, they were going to be effectively the pioneers of sort of this new um, NIL kind of space. Once they decided that they were going to take those rights back, the league had represented those rights for 30 years. They took those rights back. They um, put an RFP out for an agency to represent them. Athletes First uh, won that bid, and we started Athletes First Partners off of, off of that partnership. About a year later, we brought in the uh, National Basketball Retired Players Association. So that's over a thousand WNBA and NBA players, basically almost everybody that's played the game. And most recently, we brought in the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee for to help build their sponsorship um, program, which is uh, it's called Athletes Marketing uh, Platform. And that was really kind of off of a decision back in 2019, where the uh, the IOC had said, you know, athletes or USOC had said athletes can now make money off of their own name, image and likeness. So we've, we've definitely had a theme sort of in that group marketing space, but that, that's what we do largely. Three very small, very easy to manage businesses right there. Yeah, you so, may have heard of them. I don't know. They're yeah, yeah. Small. <laughs> um, hey, that, um, you've also done some other kind of initial work around the NIL space. Uh, just from a high level, what do you think? And here we are, you know, it has just started less than two months old on the college side. What are your thoughts on NIL, um, how it can play out? Um, and and if, you're, if you're talking to an athlete today, whether it's a gymnast at Stanford or recently retired NBA player or a player in the WNBA, um, wh what do you tell them to look for and how do you think it should kind of evolve in terms of NIL? Yeah, great, great question. So I, I look at it from two, two, area, two sides. One, obviously, as an executive in this business, and two, as a former collegiate athlete. I think on its surface, it's a great opportunity. You know, I think NIL, it's been a long time coming. It's, uh, it's great that it's happening. I think on the flip side, my biggest concern is what does that mean at the implementation level? Because it's one thing to say, we're gonna help athletes make money, but there's so many things, and we've learned this certainly on the athletes first partner side of the business, there's so many things that go into that. And you're talking about student athletes that are students and they're athletes. They have two day jobs already, and there is so much support that is needed. So when I think about the opportunity uh, with NIL, I think about the, the responsibilities to educate the athletes, because that would be my first piece of advice is just educate yourself about everything from what the actual business is, who's representing you, what a good deal looks like, um, you know, all of the, the, the implications, things like, you know, taxes and, and everything that you have to think about as, a, as an athlete or a, as anyone that's, that's assessing a, an opportunity. And, you know, it, it's, it's a hard thing to think about when you, when are you going to do that? When do you have time to do that? So, so I, while I think it is a really great opportunity and it's going to be great and it already has been for some athletes, uh, I am concerned about how we best support the collegiate athletes. 
um, who are involved. So in the case of um, your business as chief growth officer, a, a title we referenced before, talk a little bit about what that really means. And so, for example, I'm sure you're looking for new opportunities, trying to grow the business, but could you conceivably have as a client a major university or a conference and be their consultant on this stuff? Because it seems to me a lot of them need a lot of help right now. Right. Yes. Um, so just kind of breaking down the, the, the concept of a chief growth officer. So a lot of that grew out of chief marketing officer um, and the old role kind of transitioning to a new, more commercially facing role of the traditional CMO. So that's, that's really where I, at least I heard first heard the term. And so in growing the business, uh, for me, I look after th three lines of our business. Uh, one is our international business. Uh, two is is our, our brand and, and really building our name and our brand. And then three, which is our, you know, the, the um, growing part of our business is the consulting business. So as, as I mentioned, uh, the US Olympic and Paralympic Committee was our first consulting client. And so absolutely growing that and, and taking the, the key lessons that we've learned throughout our clients, working with our clients on the, on the sponsorship side of the business is absolutely a place where we can continue to grow and intend to continue to grow. And so whether that is working with you know, colleges or conferences, that, that's definitely an opportunity. What trends and developments in the industry, and just some examples would be the growth of legalized sports betting, the popularity of video gaming and esports, the growth of new blockchain opportunities in the NFT space, what ones are you most uh, focused on right now as it relates to your consulting pitches and, and work? Because obviously you need to be one step ahead of the clients you're pitching and you have to be thinking about this stuff, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. Right. So I would say the group marketing, again, that that's whether that's NIL or um, um, the, the, the concept of you've got this trend and it's happening at the professional, at the, uh, amateur and the collegiate level of athletes taking more control and more say of their own rights. And so whether that is a union or whether that is a group of athletes, however it's structured, the idea of sort of a collective strength and more power than athletes traditionally have had, that is something I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very keen and, and, and focused on. That's one. And then the other piece I think is really interesting, this is just a personal interest of mine as well, is this sort of digital transformation that's been happening way well before COVID, but certainly since COVID and the, the, the sort of coming together of analytics and what that truly means. And so I had a lot of experience with that at the NBA. It was a really interesting time because the, at, at that point with so many fans around the world, even understanding who they are, where they are, how they move across your platforms, um, how you talk to them, what kind of content, you know, how you've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of content, how you serve it up, how do you best serve it up for fans? All of that I, I find fascinating. And I think, especially coming out of COVID, when we've now experienced a world without live events, we've now understood how important it is to keep your fans in your circle and make sure that you have a 30, you know, a 365 day relationship with them. 
that is something I'm, I'm really interested and excited about. Who, um, when you look at that, who are some of the companies or the brands outside of the NBA when, and even outside of sports, because you touch on a lot of other areas um, with some of your other board work, who are some of the people when you look and you say, man, there's a company or a brand or a media platform that understands where they are and what they're doing and, and we can all learn from them. Who are some of the companies that, you, that you're looking at today? Yeah, so I think um, I, I follow the tech space quite a bit just because I'm, again, it's a personal interest, but it's also, I mean, you look at a company and you know, it's an obvious company like Amazon, but what Amazon I think doesn't get quite the credit for is this, yes, it's a customer centric business, but it's also a business that, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, it's an e-commerce platform. In reality, it's a logistics um, platform. And so this idea of how do you take something that even the fact that um, AWS was built really out of the fact that they needed a logistics solution for all of the delivery of the, the products, like to be able to pivot that quickly, I think is really is really interesting. And I, I, I like what they're what they the kind of um, tone that they've set because now, you know, everybody's talking about it's gotta be customer first. So I look at at a company like that uh, and 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 think about how how they how they best interact. I've got a question a little bit off of the sports track, just in the general culture track, which, which I know interests you a lot. How does a company, any company, in, in an era of a lot of remote work, build and maintain a culture? This is a, this is a conversation debate sometimes I'm having with virtually every person I know who's in a position of responsibility in, in, in corporate America or academia right now, it's, it's, an, it's a really interesting moment in time that will be transformative one way or the other. But we're seeing some of this tension develop right now as Google has made announcements about potentially paying remote workers less. Some of the big leagues are demanding uh, full in-person attendance. Really interesting approaches. So what are your, what's your take on all that? Yeah, I mean, I think that it kind of starts with there are two kind of fundamental types of companies, right? And types of leadership. One is fear-based leadership and, and one is love-based leadership and the idea of, you know, servant leadership. And I think it, it really starts there. Every decision that you make and how it flows down through a company is a product of how you approach your, what, what is your leadership style and how you approach your teams. I think that if if there is a thought that we're just going to go back to business as usual, that's probably not the right thought because we're also, we're dealing with intergenerational dynamics too, right? Like we've got, you know, four generations that are now in this workspace, in this, this uh, industry together. And, you know, like it or not, it's, it's going to be set largely by some of the younger executives and younger people that are coming up. So it's, I think that it's, it's inevitable that we will shift um, thinking just, just like it, it, it always has. You know, we, we've always had to kind of adapt to a new way of doing business. Like this is the most radical uh, change that I think we'll, we will experience. But I, 
you know, we're, we'll see how, how it ends up, but I, I really do believe that those that are looking at the sort of old school fear-based way of running your company, you've got to monitor everybody every second of the day, is probably not on the right side of history with that. You know, how are you handling it at your company right now in terms of new hires and the existing staff you have? Yeah, so we're kind of doing what it seems like a, a, a lot of, not just the industry, but a lot of businesses doing and going into sort of a hybrid model. And we'll see how that, that works. And, and um, But in terms of hiring new staff and bringing on new people, I have always worked in a virtual uh, world, just being international and being in satellite offices. I'm very used to it. I'm very comfortable with it. I know some of the, the pitfalls of it. You know, you've got to over communicate. You've got to be incredibly transparent. You have to make people feel like that they are still part of what's happening because it's very easy. You know, it's out of sight, out of mind. It's very easy to kind of lose connections with people when you're not in the office, when you're not physically present. So we all have to work harder to maintain those relationships, but it can be done. It clearly has been done for the last you know, 18 months now. Hey, um, Jay, I wanna to touch on two, two topics that are kind of intermingled, but they are very much in your kind of wheelhouse. <laughs> Maybe it connects to fear-based or love-based leadership, I'm not sure, but... Um, for those who, since we don't do this in video and they may not realize it until they Google you, you were an athlete of color in a very white sport, gymnastics. Um, and two, th two topics that we've had on our radar, which I'm sure you have, are the growth of women's sports and also the balance of mental health. Now, um, in the last three months or a month and a half, we had everyone from Naomi Osaka to Simone Biles, a gymnast, your sport in college, mm -hmm. an athlete of color, you can relate to. Um, how do those things from your perspective, being kind of in their shoes at one point at an elite university as an, a, a high level NCAA athlete, how do they fit together? And when you heard those two things from a business perspective, what was your reaction and what would you tell them if you were going forward? Yeah, uh, first of all, I am, really delighted that the conversation is happening because it, it was definitely not happening for me or for any of my uh, counterparts uh, coming up as a, as a gymnast, as an athlete, you know, in, in any space. And, you know, I look at particularly what's happened in, in gymnastics and, you know, it, it is, it's got its obvious controversies and, and, and issues with Larry Nasser and everything else that happened, you know, kind of leading up to that. And I think that um, that's very much a product of, of a world where people aren't comfortable talking about mental health and they aren't, they don't think it's okay. And you've got to, as a gymnast, you've got to, you know, stuff everything inside and, and smile and go out and perform. And for someone else, it's going to tell you whether you're perfect or not. So I, I, seeing that, um, it, it very much resonated. Um, and, you know, tennis, tennis is, has you know, a lot of similarities. You know, individual yeah. sports, young women, very, very young. They start very young. They go professional very young. Uh, so I saw a lot of um, similarities and commonalities in that. 
I think from a business perspective, I do think that there is an opportunity there because again, like looking at, this is not just about sport, this is generational. I mean, we're having mental health conversations really everywhere. It's, it started well before even some of the, the athletes started talking about it. And so, you know, brands aren't stupid. They're gonna follow where, the, they're gonna follow the tide. And I do think there are some really important, I look at what Athleta is doing and what they did with Allison Felix and what they, they've done with Simone. Uh, and I just think that there's, there's more of that out there. And you're now opening, you know, opening doors and opening conversations that just really have not been opened before. That's a great perspective. Um, I want to just go back to your um, your kind of business development stuff. Right? You mentioned international growth. Talked mm -hmm. about some of the technology, et cetera. Are are you applying that same approach of opportunism, meant in a positive way? You mentioned that vis-a-vis -vis careers, in in terms of business development for the agency, or do you? I, and this because I've been in and involved in and around these businesses personally. And I, I find it interesting how you actually set the strategy to grow. Like, what are we gonna to do to grow? So do you have a fairly specific and detailed plan as to what specific things you wanna pursue in each of those areas? Like we want to grow in the Middle East or we want to do more in blockchain technology or something like that. Is that part of the, the plan for you guys? Yeah, that, that is part of it. So, you know, especially you know, a space like international. So what is, by just, by the fact that we work and represent two very, you know, um, prominent basketball uh, properties, we naturally are looking at markets like uh, China, the Philippines, Spain, Australia, Canada, markets where basketball itself has always been really strong. So that from a territorial perspective, it's, it's very clear and very easy to see where the path uh, goes. I do think in areas like NFT or even NIL, like there's so much happening and gambling is an online betting is another one. Um, there's so much happening in that space. You've got to figure, you've got to kind of clear the, the, the clutter and focus on the things that are really gonna going to you know deliver an, an impact straight away. Mm -hmm. So, like for example, with the uh, NBRPA, we're very focused on online betting because um, that is an area. First of all, it's it's much easier because they're retired players, so they can you know they they can be involved, and um, it's just a natural. You know, there are a number of players. We just did a, a deal uh, with DraftKings and Meta World Peace around the finals, uh, specifically around, uh, around online betting. So those kinds of areas, we do align with what our clients want, the directions that they wanna grow, because if they're, if they're not interested in that direction or if there is a barrier to entry in that direction, then it makes no sense for us to, to kind of push that. Mm -hmm. Cool. Hey, um, Tom, I've got one more question. And then before we get to our final two, um, which involves another part of the curious learning that Janae does. You sit on a bunch of boards uh, and you've been looking at boards. People always ask, and I'm sure a lot of our, our listeners wonder about like, what, what do you need or, or when you're looking to 
be a part of a board, what is it that you look for? And then what do boards look for you to do? And if, if you want to mention a couple of them, great. If you don't, it's not a problem, but both sides of that. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I can mention the boards that I'm on. So I'm uh, most recently joined uh, two boards, corporate boards. One is called Varsity Brands. And so Varsity Brands is, it, you, you might have heard of it, but- uh, uh, Cheerleading, really cheerleader. <laughs> uh, sports Spirit and Award, uh, yeah. Sports Spirit and, and Achievement. Um, Zeta Global is, a, is another company. It's a marketing technology company. Uh, that is powered by AI, really, really interesting business. And then uh, PRX, which is a uh, public radio exchange, a really fantastic uh, nonprofit uh, uh, audio journalism and podcast company. And so what I, I really love board work, it's, it's a chance to be um, strategic and to be uh, I think in terms of what boards, what, what boards specifically look for, I mean, there are certain skill sets. And one of the things that um, has been really good for me is sort of my background with digital transformation and, and, and marketing and international. Those things have been very helpful. Um, but boards are also looking for uh, sort of a consultative uh, relationship. So I think there's of, often a, a misnomer in terms of understanding what boards do and boards aren't there to operate the business. They're not there to run the business. That is what the leadership team is for. The boards are there really to consult and offer their expertise uh, in their certain spaces. And then, you know, I, I've been really fortunate. They're all really wonderful boards, really great chemistry. That's also something I personally look for. And I would, you know, if I was advising anyone, I would say that's a really important thing. You really want to understand, you want to, first of all, enjoy the, the company and the product, and you want to believe in the product, but you also want to believe in the team and enjoy the team um, that you're working with at the board level, because you're all in there to help, you know, guide a business. So it's really important that you all understand and be on the same page with, with, what you want, ultimately want um, to, to, to happen and to, to how you want to help the company. Nice. Janae, we ask all of our guests uh, two last questions. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I'll ask those questions and then Joe can wrap us up. Uh, the, first you, you, the, the first one is interesting to me, particularly with the job you're in, which is, which is obviously diversified in so many different ways, the board work, the, the international work, et cetera. But how do you keep up? How do you stay smart? What are you reading? What are you listening to? Ooh, I listen to a ton of podcasts. <laughs> so That's that, good. We yeah. like those people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love them. I, I mean, I, I um, in addition to, I won't mention the sort of the standard industry trades because I think right. we all, you know, yeah. are, Keep up on that. I listen to a lot of tech podcasts. Uh, I listen to a lot of history uh, podcasts. So I, one of the things that I think we all risk is uh, repeating history and we don't learn from history. I mean, you can see that in a number of ways right now. Uh, so I, I, I prefer kind of um, true story, nonfiction um, podcasts. Nice. Um, and then what career advice would you give, let's, let's focus specifically on younger people because we have, you know, we're at the graduate sports management grad program at Columbia, 
got a, a lot of young, bright people looking to build their career. So if someone, someone 25 years old came to you, maybe they've done a couple of internships or one or two uh, entry level jobs, what kind of advice are you giving out these days? So uh, I would say the two things that I tell people, uh, one is be curious, but be specific. And so what I mean by that is I have interviewed a number of people, whether it's formally or informally, when I'm talking about being specific, uh, formally or informally that say to me, I say, you know, what, what interests you about XYZ company, about this company? I just want to work in sports. Well, that, that's not very helpful, you know? So I, I think that, and also it, it also risks um, kind of taking away your objectivity because that, you know, some of my best hires in sports have been people that have no interest in sports. They're just there because they're passionate about marketing, they're passionate about sales. So that, that's one, I think really refine your story and be specific. Now on the flip side, what I mean by be curious is it, it's also not great, again, like your question to me in the beginning, I had no idea what any job in sport looked like, luckily, because I think if I had had, I think people come in now and they'd say, oh, I want to be a sale. I want to be in sales. I want to be in you know, digital content. I want to, and then when that happens, you close the door to all these other things that you mm -hmm. can be doing. You know, like I, I one of the most fascinating uh, people that I met when I was at the NBA was the head of security. I mean, that security, whoever thought and talk about being an important role in sports, like that is a really, really fascinating role. So, um, so yeah, so I, I say, I would just say be curious. Sorry about cool. that background. That's our. We're curious our about heart. what Tom's phone is uh, beeping. <laughs> it's a hurricane alert in the Northeast. So lucky yeah. us. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, so that's really interesting because the, um, this idea of being opportunistic and uh, being open-minded to me is key. Uh, Joe and Tom may remember this. We took a bunch of students of our students of the MBA a few years back for an information session and they had various speakers come up and there was a young, uh, a woman whose name I can't remember who did that old classic quote, which is actually I think from one of the Stoic philosophers um, luck is where preparation meets opportunity or opportunity meets preparation. That idea of being, okay, know your stuff, be prepared, and then put yourself in a position to learn about new opportunities and maybe you'll have some luck. Um, and I couldn't agree with you more because Joe and I and Tom, our producer, are hearing that line. I just want to work in sports quite a bit from people and um, it, it's not a good look yeah. and it, it, it immediately reveals that they haven't really done much homework. I mean, yeah. this, is, this doesn't happen so much, I'm happy to say, at Columbia with the people in the program, because they've obviously thought about this, but there's plenty <laughs> of other people I speak to who say that exact thing. Like, and yeah. when, I, when I give an answer similar to yours, I'll up and say, oh, well, I'm open to anything. And I, and I dig deeper, I'm like, no, that's not good enough. And I also suggest that they think about, and you mentioned this thing, and, and we, we, we went through it quickly, but this idea of back of the house jobs and front of the house jobs, I often use the metaphor of the restaurant. Like, do you want to be a waiter or, or bus boy, bus woman, whatever, or do you want to be in the back making the pastries or making the salads? Two very different experiences. Um, but if you're customer facing, you're client facing, and you said that yourself, people oriented, that's a different approach. And there's tons of ways to start in that part of the business and then branch out yeah. you know, over time like you did. 
So. Yeah, just figure out what you like to do. I like talking to people. So that's literally what's driven my career. I like learning about cultures. That's what's driven my career. Everything, there's not, I don't think there's been one job that I've had that I knew was going to be the next step. You know, everything just kind of unfolded as, as I went along. Right. And we hear, and we've been doing this podcast for five and a half years and we, we've heard about a lot of people's career journeys. And I'd say, Joe, 90% of the people have had a similar, um, a, a similar answer about career development. They didn't plan it out. This wasn't a roadmap. Yep. This was a series of random circumstances, oftentimes, that led to other opportunities, you know, way leading on to way. Anyway, Joe, you want to wrap up? Yeah, one other quote. I don't know why this popped into my head as you were talking about this, but there's a great quote from Camelot where Merlin turns to Arthur and he says, do you want to be the dinner or do you want to be the diner? And that's kind of... uh, (laughs) I didn't know know that one. That's a good one. Anyway. Um, last question, um, where can people find out about Athletes First Partners and uh, where can they find out a little bit more about your career, Sinead? Sure. So uh, Athletes First Partners, you can always go to our website and check us out, uh, athletesa1partners.com. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. So pretty much everything about me, uh, career-wise at least, is on LinkedIn. Other than your gymnastics photos from from your glory days, it's done. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah so. I haven't haven't quite gotten around to posting those, but <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. We'll save those for another. We're not we're the more visual podcast. <laughs> anyway, uh, once again, Tom, another great episode of Curious Learning, and yeah, hopefully, great stuff. For, thank you, especially Jeanette. as we're, really wonderful conversation. Yeah. congrats. And we're getting close to the start of the semester, so a great way to kind of kick things off for a lot of the new people, hopefully. The yeah. droves of, of new students who are going to be coming to the podcast. Yeah, I just think there's such career gold in these answers we're getting from smart people mm-hmm. like Janae that yeah. um, as, I, as I once did, Joe, on LinkedIn, I collected a bunch of the answers of just that question. And I did uh, Janae on uh, essays on LinkedIn called free career advice. And like, maybe you'll, you'll be a subject yeah. of that someday where I just transcribe what you answered. Because there's just really, there's just a lot of people really anxious to help and offer good advice, which I think if listened to, and respected and followed can lead to good things. Anyway, Joe. Cool. Um, and speaking of good things, we're getting close to the beginning of the semester, but we wanted to thank Janae Elsie, the Chief Growth Officer for Athletes First Partners for joining us in one of the, the remaining August podcasts we will have in 2021. Uh, once again, thanks to Tom Cerny, our producer, my co-host, Tom Richardson. I'm Joe Favorito. Thanks for joining us on The Cusp Show, and we will see you down the line.